Today on our show, it's misadventure, murder, and the music business. And David Bowie, sort of, kind of, basically. Welcome to Panelism, a podcast where we talk about the comic books and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I'm Todd A. Taylor Trask. Hey. Hello. Uh, what's going on? I was going to say my name was Ray Bloody Purchase and just see which of our listeners got the reference. If you did or if you do and you watch <laughs> Toast of London, shout us out. <laughs> I was talking... I was talking about Toast of London with Todd prior to recording. So just wanted to throw that in there in case anybody out there is a, a, a Matt Berry fan. Yes. Anyway. Um, who, who we clarified is not who I thought it was. <laughs> I don't know who you thought it was. You, I'd heard the, the word guy, bald the albino guy, and I'm like, what? The guy from Doctor Who that's, uh, you know. Matt Berry, the guy from Doctor Who. Yeah. What's his name? Matt the, Smith, you mean? No, the bald, the bald guy. Um, the bald guy from Doctor Who, newer yeah. Doctor Who, uh, not the current one. But... Oh, oh my God! Yes, 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 yes. What's his name? He, he was also actually? in Portlandia. Hang on, he's oh Jesus Christ! And bridesmaids. Um, yeah, Matt. <laughs> it's, it's Matthew something. Matt Lucas. Matt Lucas is who you're talking about. Yep. Okay, that's it. Cleared that up. Yes. No, Woo! that is. Right. He's also funny. And yes, he is basically a bald albino. So, uh, huh, learn something new. Anyway, yeah. I believe it's uh, alopecia, but alopecia. Yes, yeah. uh, apologies, apologies. Uh, yeah, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we got off on that random tangent. Let's talk about know. comics and graphic novels <laughs> and all of that. Because yeah, that's why you're it, here? That's why we're here. Well, it's been a weird week of recording. We've had to bump our day with there were some technical issues that were entirely not under our control and uh i think we're both kind of i don't know i i feel like we you know we're just trying to get the momentum back or yeah. something don't don't <laughs> so hide it feels a little bumpy right now don't <laughs> hide the cruising. don't hide the, the the blame um it's google hangouts screwed us youtube screwed us um, man can i tell you my theory on what happened yeah go ahead um I, i'm wondering if they tried to uh switch over to the new creator studio Mm. And it fudged um, their huggies because the <laughs> I, had this, I had this. I had no, it's not. I can't remember who, where that came from. Um, <laughs> I, I can't. But when I logged in, I had the same experience you did, which was like that Creator Studio Classic wasn't there. And for those of you not familiar with this, this new YouTube Studio is. I mean, it's not awful. Like the you know, it looks better, but the features that you were used to finding in the same place are just not there. It's like oh. it's like when F Apple went from Final Cut Pro to Final Cut X, <laughs> this which is was the greatest disaster, debacle, disappointment in all of software history. I Google, just well, Google has made it their mission to top every stupid mistake <laughs> made by Microsoft and Apple. I just got a notice today that I do not understand something about Google Photos is no longer going to upload to Google Drive. Don't worry, your photos are safe. And I'm like, well, what the hell does that mean, dude? Oh, I know. I, I actually saw that in an article earlier. It previously, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but Google Photos would used create, to be separate. 
No, no, it was it, it always was separate, but it would create a drive in yeah. your in your drive structure right. that said, I think said Google Photos, but every photo was just in there completely indiscriminately. So it wasn't like yeah. it was it was you know, retaining your folder structure, yeah. your album structure. If you had ten thousand photos, every ten thousand of them were in a single Google Drive backup folder. I never quite understood what purpose it served, other than maybe that's where the account is storing everything. But they locally. fixed that. Yeah. Then, then they made it like a folder within your drive called Google Photos and the metadata worked and, and then you got year folders within that. I never got that. I oh, never got the year folders. I got that. So oh. now I don't understand what this thing means. Plus, I don't even use it anymore. I mean, I do use it, but I use the product called Google One. So what the fuck is the difference, man? Oh, I was trying so hard not to swear. It does feel a lot like Google has – I mean – I'll, don't get me wrong. I love my Pixel, and, and it was yeah. it's the greatest phone I've ever owned. But I do feel like this is definitely them becoming Apple in in all ways. Like they've you know they've adopted Apple's design aesthetic, they've adopted their packaging, their product quality, and yes, they've adopted Apple's like shenanigans and just nonsense of of software releases and updates. Like just this idea right now that iTunes. I mean, yes, finally iTunes is going away, but it's being replaced by Apple Music. Uh, podcasts and then TV, Wait, but not three on, different apps. Yeah, which were all, which was already the case on iOS, right? Yeah. That's oh, how it was there. But but they're not doing this for any Windows user. You still get to use the same old bloated iTunes, iTunes like any. Fuck? Yeah, it's they're not they're not making it consistent at all. So it's just like oh boy. Uh, no one can learn. Anyway, let's talk about books, man. I, I know got, we'll have to have a te- uh, what did we call it when we did that? The um, Tectivus, the airing of grievances against the tech companies. We'll have yes, to have another, it was a another episode of those. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, uh, today we both have, well, you're going to do an episode on a comic book and then we'll record another episode that you will get to hear in another week, which will be me right. talking about a comic book, which yeah, you've I, read a little bit of. So it'll be very I cool. Know. Yeah, we'll we'll Teaser on that one. Yeah, listen in. Uh, I may disagree with Todd. We'll see. Well, we'll see what Todd says. This yeah. week, I am reviewing a uh, what's essentially – it will be a trade paperback in July. The series has just concluded its first arc um, literally yesterday, which is interesting. We were going to record this on Tuesday, and um, oh, it, I would have not had ish, the final issue six yet. Oh, and I perfect. Pretty much, pretty much knew where I was going. So now I've completed it. Um, so you can definitely get all these single issues, but the trades coming. It's a little series on image, of course. Most of the most of my picks are uh, <laughs> that came out earlier this year. I sort of kind of accidentally came into it, and I'm so glad I did. It's called Gunning for Hits, and it's interest interesting little background. It's written by Jeff uh, Rogvi. I think that's how you pronounce his name: R O U G V I E. Let's just say it's Rogvi or Rogvi, but I'll say Rogvi. He is. Um, Strangely enough, he worked in the music business for a, a long period of time. Um, actually worked with David Bowie. He wrote this this series. I'm going to come what, back and we'll talk about him. You should mention right there what drew you to the first issue yeah. you picked up. <laughs> yes. So the very – I mean the reason I got this is like – and this I'm sure was on purpose. You're walking through the store. They're walking through the comic shop. You look over at the single issues and this – wonderfully drawn picture of what looks like kind of an evil David Bowie classic, like eighties, like uh, glass spider, David Bowie sort of standing there um, singing, you know, like a, a black cover. I was like, what is this? Um, you know, gunning for hits. What an interesting title. You pick up the issue, flip through it. And I was sort of captivated by this thing. I'm like, well, let's see where this goes. And uh, issue six just, just finished. And God, I'm so glad. I'm so glad 
Now, um, will it continue past issue six? Yes. Okay. And okay. I'll so you get, know that. I do, but it's we'll get to that in just a bit because the way they're continuing it is really interesting. It's oh, I've good. not seen this kind of thing done before. Cool. So it'll be I'll, – I'll share more about that in a bit. Um, but just to shout out more of the credits, art by an artist named uh, Moritat who – that's it's just Moritat, just like Moibis, same kind of a thing, and colors, letters, and design by Casey Silver. Uh, so those three: Jeff Rogby, uh, Moritat, and Casey Silver. Published by Image, debuted January of this year. So we're recording in 2019. This came out in January, um, and issue six literally just came out this week, Wednesday. Um, so it's fresh out the presses and, and freshly freshly concluded for the moment. Let me give you yeah. the back. Oh, go ahead. Now, did it wrap up like like you felt the arc end in this issue? hundred oh, yes. percent. Okay, cool. That's why I'm so excited to see the next arc ah. because it will, it, 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 it very much like an album is like, you know, it's the same artist, but it's like a, like, what, it, what does this sound like? What is this going to be like? It's, I'll get to that. I, I don't want to spoil that just yet. And by the way, this will be a spoiler filled uh, discussion. So I just, if you haven't read it and you're sensitive to that, um, maybe put this on pause. If you don't care, I'm not going to spoil it a lot, but I'm going to definitely uh, talk about the ending and talk about some, some crucial plot points a little in depth. Um, Cause I think it, it really sells, sells the book to anybody who's interested. Here's uh here's the back of the book summary, just to give you a sense of what this is. It says record company, talent scout, Martin Mills, basically he's an A&R guy. Martin Mills jumps at the chance to make a comeback album with his favorite rock legend. But when it goes sideways, Martin is forced to use deadly skills from his past in a desperate bid to save his reputation and the artist's career. Set in the 1980s New York City music scene, this real-world music business crime thriller from writer-music producer Jeff Rogby and artist Moritat includes special background features and Spotify playlists. Uh, and then the you know this will collect uh, the trade paperback will collect gunning for hits numbers one through six. So let's talk about the writer, creator, conceiver of this whole thing, Jeff Rogvi. He and I had no idea. This is something I only recently learned, like in the last maybe two three weeks. I I had I'd gotten a sense he worked in the music business through some of the letters and, and additional context, but. And no idea it was this. This is literally right off of Wikipedia. It says, Jeff Rogby is an award-winning music producer who's worked with Big Star, David Bowie, Elvis Costello, and more. He's also played in bands, published fanzines, designed album sleeves, and did pretty much every job there is. Um, in addition to writing Gunning for Hits, he owns a record company called Super Megabot. So um, has had exposure to a lot of stuff that pops up in the book. And I, I, I think, you know, for me... Well, let me let me talk about the the artist. Have you ever heard of Moritat no. before today? I hadn't either, so I had to look him up a little bit more. I was curious because the art is very is very good, but it's very specific. Um, he has apparently been creating for a little while. He's best known for work on the Spirit, um, Elephant Man, and then DC's All Star Western, which I had never heard of, and that sounds interesting. <laughs> Uh, he was the artist on the Hellblazer series that DC published in 2016 as well. So if you're familiar with any of that, you you may know Moritat. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. M-A-M-O-R-I-T-A-T. That's Moritat. what I would Moritat. guess. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm always waiting for like some kind of like, you know, we're Moritat, you know, just some sort yeah. of interesting. So why did I really like, why this book? Why should we talk about it right now? I think, and you and I share this. We have, you know, sort of a history in the music business, in it, around it, you know, 
touching it in different ways. Um, I uh, went to Nashville. I actually transferred to Belmont University in Nashville for the explicit purpose of working in the music business. And so like, I mean, at the time, not so much these days, but at the time I was really into the the mythology of the music business. You know, I love the artists, um, the side of it, but I actually had a deeper sort of appreciation and sort of fan geek out for the pe- the business people, especially in the Nashville, like the 90s, 80s, 90s country music industry. Like I knew all the label heads, I knew the producers, I, you know, I knew the marketing people at all the labels and like the various decisions. So I was like really wrapped up in all that. You know, I knew about all the indie labels and just sort of their strategy and growth, growth strategy. That's how I ended up working at Compass for a little, a little while. Um, so I was really into that whole, you know, old school music business thing. I love what the music, I love what we're getting now as consumers. I think the business side of it is, is very different and a very different sort of beast. Not as interesting to me as maybe that sort of old school, um, you know, like, like shady sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> that's what your nostalgia is for. Not the cr- necessarily. The crime not, <laughs> well, not specifically that, but like, you know, I read, there's a really good book. I think it's by Walter. Is it Walter? No, it's about Walter Yetnikoff. It's called, um, Oh God, I just forgot it. Uh, uh, hang on a second here. Yetnikov book. Walter Yetnikov. It's uh. Oh my god, I just missed it. Anyway, I'll I'll find it. Well, have um, you the totally random side question? Have you seen the Danny Says documentary? I have not. Oh wow. More. Um. Uh. Oh my gosh, his name just uh, blanked out of my head. Um, ah, see, it's a virus. Danny it's Fields. Contagious. Danny okay. Fields. Um. He was the famously like the manager of the Ramones, okay. but, um, but also just, I mean, it's just, a, he's this hilarious character. That's really deadpan and like quiet and monotone. And, but he's got this like really long music career because he basically like discovered the doors and then pitched to them and then had to go on the road with them. And then, you know, like went from that to like uh, Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. And anyway, it's just that it's that I think it's some of that nostalgia you were you were speaking of. Yeah, but it yeah. was on Netflix for a while. Danny says. And he says the book I was referring to is Hitman by Frederick. Oh, Dan. yeah. Oh, Hitman. yeah, yeah. It's classic. Right. The reason I bring it up is because it talks about all the corruption and like payola and stuff that Walter Yetnikoff and a bunch of those label guys at the time um put into place what i'm nostalgic for in the music business is the fact that you used to be able to like you know a radio station used to matter and you could like take a demo to a a station in kansas city and that could be the beginning of your big break you know like there's all these there was sort of uh i mean yeah there was a lot of corruption and a lot of you know just sort of shadiness and you know people getting ripped off and all of that but there was there seemed to be more of uh, more of an organic sort of more artistically focused time then now, I mean, me even just saying that out loud, hearing myself say that, I, I you know, I almost sound like, okay, it just like, it's just false. It's like a false nostalgia, but I don't care. Um, it's kind of, just kind of my background lend itself to this. Yeah. I think the, I mean, the other issue, the other part of this too, is just, I love freaking David Bowie and just seeing that cover. I'm like, I don't even care if the story's garbage. I'm going to own this first issue right. just for this cover. I just, I'm like, even if this doesn't go anywhere, people are going to want this first issue it, you know, as a collector. So glad I did that too. Cool. And the other, and it's worth noting, that is the only issue I did buy physically. The rest I bought digitally. And I'm going to say I recommend that more digital digital because there is a pacing to it. Um, The way the slides kind of flow, it does, you you can control the energy a little bit more Mm. when you don't see what's coming because there are some interesting surprises and things. And if you can stay totally pure, 
um, not glance ahead or anything like that. I think that does really help the the uh, um, the kind of the, the frenetic. Yeah, the overall experience of that yeah, yeah yeah and so like that's interesting and then you you get you get to really focus this is a very dialogue heavy book very dialogue heavy book oh so boy. it gives you more time to kind of just focus on the words and take the take the scene and not get too distracted um again though i mean the, the first issue i definitely liked physically too i just i think my my love for the story really clicked in more when i started digitally um that uh you know comiXology's um guided view really really nailed that i think hmm. So let's talk about the story real quick. Martin Mills is our main character. He, uh, you know, talks, but also talks to you, the reader, which is kind of fun. Does a lot of his own. Yeah, I would imagine. Feels a lot like, um, oh, what's that DiCaprio movie um, recently where he plays the a Wolf of Wall Street? Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> There's very much a Wolf of Wall Street kind of vibe to this, yeah. where like you'll hear his narration, then you'll literally see him saying the words as he enters the scene, and then starts acting in the scene. So it's you know, mm. it's it's breaking third wall, fourth wall, like the, all of it. It's, it's kind of got that vibe to it, which is great because he's very much a swashbuckling kind of character, you know, and, and a lot the same way like Billy Bean, the way Brad Pitt played Billy Bean in uh, Moneyball, just where it's kind of like this effervescent, carefree attitude and just sort of like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm that kind of streetwise, um, make my own destiny kind of guy. Like, yeah. I, again, that's going back to the nostalgia. I feel like the music business used to be more of that. And I'm sure I'm I'm wrong. There's plenty of that now, but it just that sort of felt more more tangible. Anyway, hmm. he's classic AR guy at a major label in New York City. But the twist here is he's actually um former kind of black ops mercenary guy. Okay. And so um <laughs> he has quote unquote a certain set of skills that he can deploy to get what he needs. And in this case, he uses his skills to basically help his artists get better deals, get on the radio. You know, yeah. he intimidates the hell out of people physically. Uh, but at the same time, he's just got this, you know, he's not, he's not like Jean-Claude Van Damme running around New York. He's much more just like this kind of carefree dude wheeling and dealing. And he can also assassinate you if he wants to, you know? So he's got that. It, it's a, it's really fun watching this guy. Um, the other I'm curious about that, like, that's such an interesting, like, perspective. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this turns out, how that fits into this sort of crime thriller, because from the especially from like a, a punk rock background, like the A&R guy is like the enemy, basically, mm -hmm. you know, so like that's the industry slime ball that you have to deal with just to like make a living. Yeah. And so I'm wondering how much. uh Rouge v or Rugvi or whatever, like how he, what his perspective on it was since he was on that business, that side of the business, you know? Oh, he's like, is this the hero? Is Martin no, the hero? No, or, no, okay. no, no, no. He is, uh, he's, he's very much like a Deadpool like character. Like he, he's, he's just completely, what's the, the DD term for like chaotic? Is it chaotic neutral? Um, the, the, well, it could be chaotic evil. <laughs> I, he's not evil though either. He's just, he's, <laughs> Because he does gotcha. some good yeah, things, yeah. but it's all purely, and, purely yeah. opportunistic. Yeah, purely opportunistic. Like, and there's the there's a band I'll talk about in a second that you know he the whole thing opens up with him negotiating their deal, and he's trying to take them for all they're worth. You know, and then while he's doing the deal, he'll say some like le vague legal jargon to the band, and then he'll turn to the reader and go, "What I'm really doing is screwing them ten years down the road when they're contracting." Right. Like he's so he's completely. And in fact, I think the. The, the best part about this is it was written from somebody's perspective who has yeah. seen all of this. Like, I, I mean, I recognize, I recognize certain bits that I'm like, man, if he actually hadn't been in the business, he wouldn't know to put this 
particular flourish right, or right. or sort of character on something. So like that was really cool. Having been inside it myself, I'm like, oh, I recognize that. Like even if it's like a throwaway scene, like he'll have like the roadies say something where I'm like, oh, only somebody who's worked with roadies would know that. Um, you know, just like little little things and sometimes major things. Um, the band I was talking about is a band called Stunted Growth. And, and it's like that classic '80s indie band from the Midwest that you you know you just imagine any of any of that getting caught up in the whole hype and glamour of the music business. So they they start off very pure in punk rock, and the manager is dating the lead singer um, as you do. And so this whole thing kind of starts with them and Martin's relationship. And the third main character in all this is a character called Brian Slade. And Brian Slade is who you see on the cover of issue one. And Brian Slade is also, in every possible way, a stand-in for David Bowie. Like, he's drawn just like him. He has, even by the end of the series, he has different colored eyes. Like, the whole thing, it's, it's goddamn David Bowie, right? I don't know why he didn't just call him David Bowie. Why not? Why invent this Brian Slade pseudonym? You know, it's... It's, it's interesting that he makes it as deliberate as he can in everything but the name. So I'm not sure if, if it just, he didn't want to, if he thought he was going to get sued. I don't know why. Like it's, it's all obviously, you know, there's no, I, I can't like uh, phrase this without it sounding like a gotcha moment or something, <laughs> but it's not like I knew this going in. I was just very curious about that. But Brian Slade is the name of the David Bowie stand in, in velvet Goldmine. Wow. You and McGregor. <laughs> I had no idea. That's a crazy pull. <laughs> yeah. So Holy I wonder shit. if I wonder if uh, Rugby so was like referencing that. Yeah. Like I want. I mean, it had to be a nod to it. I. He's like, I don't I'm know. such a fan. Watch this. Oh yeah. God. If that's really it. If it's more that, like, just a really fun, creative meta reference. I I'm now totally on board with that. Because he does make he does make the character a little bit of a dick. I'm going right. to, maybe that's also why he's like, yeah, this isn't really Bowie. And I don't want, pe- I don't want people to think that this was how he was. So if I change the name, then it will at least be clear that like, Hey, look, this is more of a caricature of David Bowie, not actually David. That makes sense now, especially knowing that this was a, a reference from that movie. All right. Hmm. So, so Brian, so Martin Mills, the A&R guy, stunted growth, the band and Brian Slade as the sort of megastar. And, and they clearly time it to the actual Bowie's career where I think the Just Dance album had happened, but then he was kind of in this rough patch, um, okay. and like you know was looking for something else. It, I mean, basically, Circa Circa never let me down, right? That's kind of where we are. Where it was almost that mid '80s Glass Spider, you know, David Bowie. We're like, is he is he done now? Like everybody sort of started to doubt him um, before his kind of late '80s, early '90s resurgence. So it's kind of that's where we are, right? Um, the art. Uh, by the way, very clean. Um, at times, mel- uh, monochromatic. Um, he uses uh, interesting colors, very, very interesting earth tones, greens, blues, yellows as the background. Very rarely do you see um, very detailed environments or backgrounds. On very opposite of the White Knight series, where every panel that they can right. show off Gotham in some interesting stylistic way, they do it. Um, which I love. This is the opposite. It's very much highlighting sort of the the digital nature of this of the story, really focusing on again, a lot of panels are just chock full of dialogue. So that's probably the other reason. It just gives you your eye something to focus on. Um, but that was kind of interesting. Uh use of pastels, kind of a it, muted uh palette. It's largely. interesting because I when I uh you know, listening to your, your what you were saying about this, I was thinking like, well, I wonder like is it 
specifically sort of a glam take on a crime noir you know, no, genre? that's just it. That's oh, what I thought. Okay. I th- I was thinking, you know, after seeing the title, the cover, it's it's a little disassociative because you're like, wow, I'm thinking this will be hyper stylized, you know, right? That that neon pink, neon blue, sort of very, you know, 80s, and not at all. Like the the art looks like it could have come from like a 1940s, um, like magazine or like newspaper. Like, okay. oh, this is the weekly, which is was interesting. So like when they show actually show brian slade like he's drawn almost you know like in those old school uh hollywood restaurants where like the caricature drawings of all the actors were on the walls of like sure you know, it's a lot, a lot like that imagine david bowie drawn like that and you'll have kind of the the look and the feel of this so it's interesting like those sh- you know there's little teeny touches of 80s here and there but if you didn't know that this could easily have just been you know a gangster in the in the 40s well that i mean that's noir you know yeah. i mean yeah yeah so uh yeah, I wondered if the pastels were sort of subbing in for black and white. No, um, I mean, I was expecting if you've ever played the like Grand Theft Auto Vice City, oh, like if you or just no. seen any of the promotional art or graphics or that, like that's what I was expecting, where it kind of looked like. And no, this is not that at all. Okay, that makes sense. I'm it's so weird. I made this association in my mind because we, um, on our episode number 76, I talked to PJ Perez about a book that he published. Um, he wasn't the creator called San Hannibal and it's a noir thriller and it has that it's all blacks and like pastels. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw this, I just made that association, but this definitely like the, I mean, it, the style, the drawing style is totally different. It's just a, yeah. I don't know. It's a, that's a really arresting uh, color scheme, you know? Well, and I, uh, I'm just going back through some of the older issues. I would have been totally fine if, um, if they had gone the Grand Theft Auto Vice City route, you know, the GTA Vice City, oh, if, they, okay. if everything had looked like the story is so, so great that it would have, I mean, I love it this way, but I, it, it would have been very interesting to see it in that other style. But the, I mean, I would love to compare the two just to know which one I would like better. I don't know. I don't know which one. Um, I think you can do the noir style in, in Vice City aesthetic. Yeah. And by, by a Vice City aesthetic, like just go look up any of the like vice city stories like cover art it's just very you'll know it when you see it, it looks a lot right. like archer um oh know, yeah yeah exactly. archer's done. yeah that sort of very thick bold lines and um you know stark shadows and all that kind of stuff anyway um so that's that's the art and again the the uh the grid structure um very traditional in, in that sense and just packed with dialogue. Like it almost kind of became a Hickman book at some point because it's just, you'd see just pages that the characters are almost like poking their heads around the dialogue bubbles just to be seen. There was so much dialogue. Um, <laughs> poking their heads around the dialogue bubbles. I mean, not intentionally, now, but like it, it, it they, close enough. You know? Wow. I wonder, I, God, I wonder how that is to work with a writer who's written so many words and then, you know, you know, you only have so much panel, like how yeah. do you draw the panel? to yeah. leave room for something like that yeah they just i mean they relied heavily on just traditional nine grid you know six uh, oh, wow. nine grid 15 grid i mean they, and they play around with it a little bit they do some cool things with you know they'll show like a skyscraper mm-hmm. and then they'll have the skyscraper and filling the entire full left column like an iconic new york building right. And on the right side it's the characters in that building and there's much you know tinier panels so it's like you know, three, six, nine, like a 12 grid system mm. to the right. So, and then you'll flip the page and it'll be a different set of buildings with a different set. So you can kind of get a sense of, um, you know, just the, the space and time that they're in. That was kind of yeah. cool. Otherwise, is it's it, very traditional. I, I don't know that you, I don't remember you mentioning this, but is it based in New York city? 
Yes, largely okay. in New York City. There's a I don't know if they ever leave New York. They talk about oh, you know, he Martin Mills does go to Japan for like a hot second. Um, but largely this is a New York story. Okay. Now, uh, as the story goes, um, you know, he's trying to sign this band, Stunted Growth. Uh, that's what opens <laughs> us up. Yeah, that's the band name. It's <laughs> I know. I just, uh, yeah, it's, it, I'm sure that's some reference to something else that I'm just not picking up yet. But he's trying to sign this band. Um, Billy, the lead singer, is absolutely in love with Brian Slade. Like, imagine like early, early Bowie. Like, that's who, that's mm-hmm. who this kid sort of idolizes. So Martin Mills, the A&R guy, is trying to sign them. At the same time, he just signed David Slade to a, like a, a horribly leveraged deal, like a like one of the mm-hmm. highest amounts in ours has been paid. And like his last album didn't do that well. And like, he doesn't have anything going on right now. Like all the stuff he's recorded is just garbage. And he thinks that if he can pair both of these, like if he can pair Brian Slade with this band, with Billy and Stunted Growth, the, because Billy's writing some amazing songs and maybe okay. like those two can collaborate. It'll, it'll fire up David Slade, you know, to, to, to make better music. Billy will have like this mentor character and everybody will sort of win. You know, Martin's boss, Martin kind of carved out this special place for himself at the record label where he gets to have his own office outside of the, of the you know, corporate headquarters. He basically gets to go over his boss like at any time. And his boss is constantly trying to, trying to sabotage him. But Martin is so smart that he, you know, it's just one of those things. So trying to do all this, as time goes on, it becomes clear that David Slade is just trying to absolutely take all the creative sort of uh, assets away from the, the band. Um, you know, he's having these weird late night sessions where he's you know, either stealing songs from Billy or trying to corrupt him and, you know, get him to be his little puppet, and all, all, manipulating him in a really shitty way. There's this interesting uh, moment where they're recording late at night and like Martin Mills gets a call. He's like, you got to get down here. It's just, it's just shit. They're just, none of it's good. And he gets there and Billy's in like the room playing his guitar and David Slade's with him playing saxophone. And like, it's just awful. And everybody, like, it's really funny. They really, they all bitch about the fact that David Slade pulls out his saxophone. <laughs> it's the worst thing ever, which is so funny. Cause I mean, like just imagine all those things. David Bowie was once known for playing saxophone. Was this he? Was, yeah. This is a thing oh. he used to do in the early eighties. And it's mm. like, oh, don't do that, David. Like, it's yeah. It's, the reason he stopped, right? So they, um, did I, I? I think I've called him David Slade. If you times. have, you know who I'm talking about, <laughs> David Brian Slade, Bowie, Brian. Yeah, it's it's all the same thing. Um, so as this goes on, it, it becomes about Martin trying. You know, at one point, David's uh, Brian Slade's uh, bodyguard ends up being like an old like mercenary teammate of or adversary i think you think he was on like the 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 opposite mercenary team well now they're like and so you you get you get the sense that that martin mills is very transactional so like who was once his enemy like you know in the jungles of of africa or the you know brazil or wherever they were like wherever their mission was like whoever his adversary was you know if it if it suits his opportunity he'll make that guy his best friend you know and so he's constantly kind of playing playing everybody off each other and just kind of trying to ex- be the top dog in the music business. Now, besides that, is he doing like black ops kind of stuff? No, or he's is, retired. Spoilery. I mean, but is he like, is he killing rival musicians or he kidnapping is, them or something? He is intimidating people. Okay. Um, you know, he's got this deal where he doesn't ever want to be, he always wants to be the man behind the curtain because he doesn't want people from his oh, okay. past to recognize him and then like put a hit out on him or something. This other bodyguard, Lucius, 
is the first time he'd kind of encountered somebody from his past in that way. And so he's immediately trying to get that guy like under his, under his control. So he gets him fired and then rehired on his side and all this stuff goes down. Um, it's really funny. Lucius has a really funny sort of very satisfying ending that I was really appreciative of. Um, I don't won't spoil that, but no, he's, he's, you know, he's using his tactics when he absolutely needs to. So the book makes a good, you know, a good point of only doing that when it's, you know, at certain points, it doesn't feel like it's overplayed. Right, right, right. It's like, it's not like he's just at every turn. He's like, I'm going to pull out my gun. And it's, it's never that it's always yeah. like, Oh, all right. But he's I not, guess. he's also not like on a crime spree with the, no. band, like the band covering it or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. He's no, he's definitely wanting to be like the top guy in the music business that nobody knows about. Right. Like, a literal mercenary <laughs> yeah. acting like a mercenary in the business. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and then this all culminates at the end where Brian Slade basically, basically does the black spider tour or the black, the glass spider tour. You know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go Google David Bowie glass spider. It is one of the most overproduced overstaged shows in history and it's like it's notoriously known to be like this expensive like just disaster that's haunted david bowie since so some people love it i just you'll you'll watch it and you'll go oh i see um and this was after you know he was doing really interesting stuff on stage but very minimalist so it had a much greater impact this was just this is just indulgence to the extreme so it ends at that concert and it has a really fun kind of climactic event that tidies up really nicely um it's very shocking there's a really shocking twist Mm. that they telegraph but then you're like oh jesus they actually did it (laughs) you're like okay and so that that tidies up the entire story and martin mills spoilers martin mills basically gets to go basically gets to win in the end across every dimension you i mean it would you see that coming it's not like that's that's you know a mystery like he it basically settles sets up from the beginning this guy is sort of a god you know he can kind of nothing's going to really get in his way more or less and that proves to be true um but it ends in this beautiful way where it caps the story and he's and he talks about in kind of his final monologue he talks about having a friend in la who's getting into the gangster rap scene and he's like i think i might go try that out so it's like he's kind of ascended to the top of the ladder in this situation and he's like closing the chapter on this 80s you know glam rock kind of thing and now he's going to do the gangster rap scene in like 1987 1988 when this is like you know really taking off so it'll be really fun to see the next chapter him in los angeles instead of new york doing you know taking his mercenary skills into the gangster rap world like it'll just elevate everything i think another notch huh um so you're pretty sure that that's what the next arc will do is like go oh to- surely yeah okay. no they even they even say like you know stay tuned for the next series and they called it like uh I was like, it was like Hollywood. Some it, they named it some kind of noirish, um, you know, just like gunning for hits. It was a lot like that. In fact, hang on, give me a second here. I'm at the Brian Slade concert. It's hmm. uh, yeah, Gangsta's Goth and Guns uh, is the next the next chapter. Okay. So yeah, and it's in the the very end too. I forgot. Like as he's narrating, it's like it's like the photos, like the Polaroid photos are all sort of layered on top of each other that give you that like, uh, end, end of the movie, like, where are they all now? Like it, it gives you literally like he went on to go do this. This person is now this. So it's, it's really satisfying cliche sort of new war ending. I don't know if the next one stylistically will be completely different or follow the same, the same yeah. model. It'll be are fun you, to see. Are you curious about that in the sense of like wicked and divine, which also has some musical characters and, switched up the art <laughs> it only a... switched up the art for one arc yeah. which 
wasn't an arc that even went anywhere story-wise. Right, okay, so okay, just good point. Throw that arc out and you can enjoy Wicked and Divine perfectly fine. I, I think that was just – it was like let's take a break, but everything's going to suffer. So why would we even – they shouldn't have even bothered. Anyway. Yeah. It also sounds like what we were talking about several episodes ago um, when I reviewed Black Canary, it sounds like this is – someone who actually knew how the music business worked yep. and wrote a book like with that, that, that manager figure, you know, being like the mercenary background in mind, like he's has the background. So he's applying the, you know, strategies he learned that way to the music business. Whereas in black canary, there was this goofy thing where they kept alluding to her past that nobody knew about, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, she was a superhero. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you had already mentioned that you recommend the digital view. Um, is it, uh, and, and that trade paperback will come out in July. Uh, are they all f- like free to borrow on Comixology right now? Or is it still you're buying uh, single issues? Buying single issues, I believe for now. I think that yeah. maybe that'll change. It seems Comixology seems to have good image series pretty quick. It's almost like that's the cable TV of the release schedule. You know, uh, if a movie, right. if, if that's the, if cable TV or streaming is the last place a, a theatrically released movie appears, yeah. I think comicsology is kind of the same thing where it's like, it'll be here, then it'll be physical, then it'll be digital. And now it'll finally appear here. You know, um, that's interesting. Cause uh, I was talking to another friend about um, reading single issues and I was saying, I'm, I mostly just read trades. You know, there's a few that I pick up physical single issues and he actually reads like all single issues online like or mm-hmm. like through comiXology or something mm-hmm. and i never really put it together but if you're buying the single issues on comiXology it's basically g- going to average out to about a trade paperback cost mm-hmm. and you can get them all at once whereas if you yeah. go to your local comic book store right now it's not that likely that they'll have all six issues yeah you know because but still support your local comics oh like- please 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 do yes um ask them what the next <laughs> gunning for hits will be jump yeah. in on that series as it starts well that's a good um, point because some shops will not i mean they may not do an advance order on the next arc e- if exactly. they're not interested if you don't ask for it. like sometimes strangely enough much like radio stations used to be you could call in and say hey i uh, i really like this song could you play it and they often would, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, those were the days. And so like comic shops still have some of that too, where it's like, Hey, I really like this. You guys should get it in. And chances are, if you're passionate enough about it or Jennifer enough interest, they will yeah. try it out. That's uh, that's a, a, there. We can combine our, our uh, endorsements, go to comiXology, <laughs> check out some issues of this and then go to your local comic book store and say, I want number seven when it comes out Yeah, um, yeah. and, and get on that list so that this book will keep being made. One other thing I wanted to throw a uh, uh, shout out. Well, two other things. Um, the letters section at the Ooh. end, the actual commentary, really thorough. Um, uh, Rogue's got some essays at the end of each issue, and some of them take on a different flavor depending on what the issue is about. Um, he mixes it up stylistically, which is kind of fun. But talks a lot about like the music he's listening to when he's writing this and who he huh. feels each band represents or like different things from the music business that he knows. Like he gives this amazing context and it is probably one of the best director's commentaries I've seen in an issue. Usually you got to wait for the trade paperback or the you know collected omnibus or something yeah. to get like something this thorough. He's doing it in every issue, which is awesome. Wow. Almost makes you wonder if he's like, hey, this may be the only time I ever get to do this. So I'm just gonna yeah. put everything out there. <laughs> and it's so cool. So I I hope if he gets to series two, which I think he is, I think this is selling pretty well. Um, he you know, really keeps that going. And then on top of all that, he's writing an issue which takes a long time. 
Um, he's writing all this commentary and he's curating a Spotify playlist that changed each month based on the content of the issue. So that was kind of fun to like just follow Ooh. along on the Spotify playlist and have this truly immersive experience where you could get the book, you could read his commentary, um, listen to the playlist. I think he had a, a Martin Mills Twitter account for a hot second. Oh I probably dropped that. I, that was probably too much to have to deal with all at the same time. But, um, you know, maybe he brings that as he gets to the, the, uh, the rap stuff. I don't know. I'm who knows. Um, but that was really fun to see. So just, I'm always looking for newer, more, more, um, immersive ways to do comics content. So this was fun to, to get into. Yeah, that's and it, and it, um, like knowing that they put that much stuff into single issues, what could they put in a collected edition? Like <laughs> that makes me, you know, kind of like curious about, wow, they've got a trade paperback coming out. They've probably come up with a bunch of alternate art and other things to stuff it full. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well the trade paperback is using, um, the cover from issue six, which is a really awesome cover. I almost kind of wish they had done a different design given the content. Like they could have mm. done a really cool, um, you know, like a, like an album cover look design or oh, something. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, I, I just have to shout out real quick. The, uh, there's a part in there when, uh, Brian Slade's new albums coming out that Martin Mills's labels putting out, they show, a you know, Martin Mills goes to the management to, to kind of check in. And they're like, you know, and they are given complete creative control. So they get to design the album cover and everything. And his manager shows Martin Mills and it looks almost exactly like the never let me down album cover from 1984 <laughs> or five or whenever that was very, very similar. They, they adjust a few things, but like, it just, it's very clear that they were, this whole album was going to be basically a 1984 or sorry, uh, never let me down um, uh, montage. I just wish the, the trade paperback had a, I mean, it's cool. It's very noir ish. If you look at, at the cover um, I, I really hope when they do kind of like a, if they package all this together, they do some kind of cool hardcover or box set um, release. Maybe if he does this oh, one yeah. and maybe if he does like a third arc um, where he goes to Nashville, Jesus, could you imagine that? Think about this. Oh, dude. Oh, oh my God. So starts, you know, mid eighties. The next one will be late eighties. Um, gangster rap slash goth. It sounds like he was adding in there. And if you go in the chronology of how sort of music became popular, the next big wave where you could really make a name for yourself was Nashville <laughs> in the early nineties, dude, he might do country music as the third arc. That could be amazing. So imagine having that like collected in a really cool slip case or something that looks like a, a vinyl collection or it, they could do really cool, cool stuff with this release. Hmm. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Uh, it's always interesting when we follow on a book that is not, sci-fi superheroes or some sort of fantasy you know yeah i um, that's really i think i'd gotten really superhero heavy for a little while there so this was a nice yeah. return to kind of more of the the uh yeah then the, the more this just as interesting but more grounded um stuff that i think comics is really good at, at doing hmm well uh, very cool. If people would like to find other uh, ep issues, episodes nah. of our Their podcast, issues. where can they find them? Uh, visit us at panelism.inc. That's panelism.ink, which coincidentally is also our Instagram handle. Find us at panelism.inc. And uh, we're going to, I've been a little quiet there in the last week or two. So look forward to that. I getting can. 
can only again. assume that you're going to post some art from this book on Instagram. Yes, I. Oh, yes, I am. Yeah. Well, you will see art from this book, and probably shoot, we should just make it gunning for hits weekend and just do. Oh go my god. Through. There could be there. There could be a lot of fun. Just all the David Bowie cutouts alone. Yeah. Um, could just be really fun. I should just do a montage of those as opposed to and just see. So yeah, check us out there. Um, you can also find other podcasts that we do at panelism.inc and panelism.network and all of those places. So check us out. Cool. Well, I will talk to you on our next episode.